Do you have an income that's variable and find yourself struggling to make a budget when you don't know how much your check will be? Stacy is a nurse with wildly varying paychecks. She wants to set up her budget and bank accounts for success even when her pay fluctuates. If you also have unpredictable income, I'm glad you're here for my conversation with Stacy. I'm your host, Carly Hill, and this is the Debt-Free Mom Podcast. Armoire makes getting dressed easy. With a clothing rental membership from Armoire, build the perfect wardrobe with brands that are high quality, unique, and recommended just for you. All you have to do is take a five-minute style quiz and select items from your dynamic, personalized closet. The styles will show up at your door in as little as two days. Then when you're ready for new clothes, just swap them out for more new-to-you styles. You guys know I'm all about finding ways to minimize both clutter and overspending. If you're looking to reduce your clothes spending while still having new styles to try, this is for you. I have a couple events coming up that I'd love to have new pieces for. With the clothes I got from Armoire, I can have multiple high-end options for the price of one outfit. Right now, my listeners can give Armoire a try and get up to 50% off their first month. That's up to $125 off. Just visit armoire.style slash debtfreemom. That's armoire.style, A-R-M-O-I-R-E dot style slash debtfreemom to get up to 50% off your first month and never worry about what to wear again. Try armoire today. Today on the podcast, I have Stacy, and Stacy is a nurse, mom of three kids, and she is an extreme saver married to a laissez-faire spender. She loves talking about money, budgeting, and figuring ways to make it stretch. Her newest hobby is travel hacking. So you are a nurse. Your paychecks vary wildly. Can you give us just like a little insight into how often do you work, how regular your paychecks are, just so people can get an idea of what you're working with? So I, my contract is for three shifts every six-week schedule. And we get paid every other week. So I am allowed, or not allowed, but they... I can pick up extra shifts so I can sometimes work, you know, four days, four, you know, 48 hours in a week. And sometimes I work once every month or so. So my income can vary wildly from about $400 on the low end to sometimes depending on, you know, overtime. And if I'm working a holiday up to, you know, 2,000, 2,500, 3,000 plus. So it's, it's a very, very large range as far as what we work with. So when you're fitting that into your budget, you are paid PRN you know, wildly all over the, pl- the place. What is your other family income in terms of how frequently it's paid and whether it's variable or not? So my husband is a high school music teacher. He gets paid once a month and it's that's a pretty stable amount. It can fluctuate by about 20, 30-ish dollars, but it's pretty much a stable amount. And then he also teaches voice lessons to a few high school kids that is also a set amount. And it's usually all within, you know, the first week of the month. So both of his streams of income are consistent. They're just less frequent than mine are. Sure. So do you budget once a month since he's paid once at the beginning of the month? Is that kind of a schedule that works ideally for you just to look at the next month ahead? Yes, because of how variable my income is, it's kind of hard to go off of a biweekly. I would like to be able to do that. I think that would help us tweak our budget more and make it work for us better. But because my income is so variable, I base our budget off of his very Mm -hmm. stable income and then just kind of work mine in where the gaps are. 
Yeah. I mean, I myself, you know, talk about pay period budgeting all the time. But for people who really are paid once a month at the beginning of the month, there is absolutely nothing wrong with budgeting by month. It's just that honestly, a lot of people aren't paid that way. So that's a lot less common than we think to have once a month income that comes right at the beginning of the month. So when mm -hmm. that happens, I say go for it, you know, like make that monthly budget that starts at the beginning of the month. The problem that people run into is when they do that, but they're not paid at the beginning of the month. And so if yeah. you are paid, you know, a nice big chunk at the right at the beginning of the month, then a once a month budget does really work out, especially like you said, because your other income, although it's biweekly, which is those nice short even pay periods that's every other Friday, you don't want to budget by something that you have no idea what the amount is mm -hmm. going to be. Sometimes even, you know, if you're talking about a six week period of time where you're working three shifts, that means that occasionally on a two week gap of time, you might not work at all. Like it could mm -hmm. be that your your shifts for that six week chunk are on other pay periods. So I definitely wouldn't recommend trying to budget by every other Friday or every other week when that every other week income is so wildly variable. So I think in terms of your timing of your budget, that's not a problem at all. So let's talk about how variable, because some people have a variable income where it's just like, here's my salary, and then I get a little bit of commission on top. So I might swing around between a couple hundred dollars. Mm -hmm. With yours, because it is so different in the number of shifts that you work per paycheck, tell me how like low to how high you might range and then what amount you choose to plan for, whether it's like an average or a low, how do you go about that? So low is about $400. That's if I, that's from what I've been able to gather and like looking back at when I worked in the paycheck, that's one shift for the pay period. And high, like I think the highest actually that I've gotten now that I think about it was, I think it was like $3,000 and that was because it was over, I think, Christmas break. So there was, I worked a bunch of extra shifts over the course of like two weeks. So it was all my regular shifts plus overtime pay plus, plus holiday pay. So it was a bunch. It was like, yeah, it was just a ton extra. So it can go, yeah, from 400 to like 3000 plus sometimes. So those are the extremes of the spectrum. Is there a smaller range that you can say, oh, if I looked back at my last six paychecks or something they they were more likely to be in this range we try to account and i try to actually work my shifts so i can get about fifteen hundred dollars a month at least there are some you know like i said there are some days or some paychecks that i can only work the one for those paychecks but we try to a, a budget for about fifteen hundred a month okay so when you budget the 1500 and you get paid every other Friday and your budget is once a month the two things we'll talk through are I'm curious to hear what you've done in the past when it ends up being higher than you thought it would be but then I'm also we want to talk through what do we do when it ends up being lower so what are when when your paycheck ends up being higher than you planned for larger than that 1500 let's say what are some of your pressing goals that you maybe get excited to be able to put extra towards than you thought you could when that bigger paycheck comes so when we get bigger paychecks usually my preference would be as an extreme saver to like automatically like move it over to a savings account. We are very lucky our emergency fund is fully funded, but we'll stick it either, you know, like in our eventual car replacement budget or we're actually trying to have another baby eventually. So we're going to stick it into like future hospital bill fund over mm -hmm. here that usually goes into savings for us. 
So you want to plan ahead and put it in savings and you kind of made a distinction that that's what you want to do. What do you and your husband want to do? Sometimes it goes towards overages that we have in the month um, Mm -hmm. because as my husband being not as on the ball with the money thing, sometimes, you know, we have an, an app that we use to track our spending and our budget. And sometimes it'll be like a week and a half goes by. And I'm like, I know you went to the grocery store several times in the last week and a half. Why isn't that in the budget? And so he'll put it on all of his transactions and suddenly we're like over budget in the grocery budget. Okay. So sometimes we have to like catch up with overages and that. But usually he's pretty good about wanting to save up for other things as well. Because as much as he is a laissez-faire spender, he also does not like to actually pay for things. Yeah. So if we can save something up and just pay it all in cash and he doesn't have to feel it coming out of our checking account and seeing that mm-hmm. number go down, but it's in a separate savings account, he's very on board with that. Okay. So even though he is more the spender, he's at least had a few experiences where it's like, oh, that is nice to just be able to pull that yeah. money that was earmarked and pay for okay. it instead of figuring out a different plan. So one thing I do like to recommend when income comes back higher than it's expected, whether it's some, because you have variable income or it could be a tax return or bonus or commission or something, is to make sure that at least a little bit of it goes to fund whether it's personal spending for each of you or something that you collectively both want to do or buy. Because I think that helps, especially when, as it so commonly is, when a spender is with a saver and they're managing one set of money, it can actually help both people to feel the rewards of their hard work so that they are more likely a spender is more likely to see the merits of saving, just like what you explained, if they also feel a little bit of license or independence to spend as they would like, you know? So he might be surprised and really excited if you're like, hey, my check was 1,700 instead of 1,500. I'm gonna put 150 extra into our savings, but then I'm gonna split the rest of it between me and you for personal spending cash or whatever. Sometimes it's so much more about the, gesture than it is about the amount. So it's not like we have to give them an extra several hundred dollars, but even just the the gesture of going a little bit above and beyond what they're used to is like, ooh, this is interesting. I like this budgeting thing. That's usually an encouragement to somebody who is a spender. So that's what you do when you get extra. And before we started recording, you said it's easy to figure out what to do with extra income. It's not so easy to figure out what to do when we have a check that's lower than what we expected. So in the past, let's think through or talk through what have you done or what's been your approach when you're like, okay, here is my budget. I planned for myself to get paid $1,500 and I actually got paid $800. What's been your approach to adjusting your plan? We either try to reined in spending on the categories that we can control, like our grocery budget or our gas budget. The other thing that we have done is we've got a couple of sinking funds over the year, like from January to June, we put in X amount of dollars for like a travel money because all of our family lives several states away from us. And then from July through December, we have a Christmas money sinking fund that we put money into. And so sometimes we have to either not fund that bucket for the month or we have to, you know, half the amount or whatever to kind Mm -hmm. of make the difference. 
that is my approach as well. And when things have happened like that, because income coming in less than you expected is the same budget phenomenon as an expense getting added to your budget that that isn't what you expected either, right? So whether someone has variable income and their income ends up being lower than they thought, or you have a set income, but your expenses end up being higher than you thought, that feels basically the same way inside of a budget. So what I try to do for myself and recommend for other people is to have an order of operations that we're going to go through when this situation rises up. So when we have a, a gap in our budget that we have to make up the difference, I like to first do exactly what you said, which is to look for any category inside the, the budget that I can adjust it, within a reasonable amount, right? Like I don't like to do something extreme and say, oh, well, for the next month, we're just not going to eat out at all. That is something that people try to do so often. And it's always like, how'd that work out for you? <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> did, did that actually pan out? So within reason, I like to just see, you know, can we dial back a few categories? And the nice thing about having a budget already made is that if we have several categories like that, whether it's entertainment, clothes, date night, personal spending, restaurant, coffee, if we dial all those back by like 10 or $15, it really does add up, but we've still left ourselves at least something in each of those categories. So that's usually my go-to first is to say within the existing budget, what can I reduce, eliminate, pause in order to help fill the gap? And then my next order of operations is to say, do I have money set aside for other things that I don't actually need right now. So that kind of touches on what you described with the sinking funds. So maybe it's that we don't put money in there, that we thought we would put money in there, but maybe it also means needing to pull money out of them. And I'm okay with that. Like I I have done that, pulling money out of sinking funds that is not necessarily for that specific category. So I remember a specific instance for me that I pulled like $150 out of a vacation fund for a car battery that died and needed to be replaced. And, you know, I could see it as a loss or I'm taking away from vacation. But, you know, the the reality was at that moment, I didn't have money set aside with the title of car repair. So it had to come from somewhere. And I prefer to take money out of sinking funds than I do to take money out of my emergency fund. And so then that brings me to my third order of operations is if if I have to, I will pull money out of the emergency fund because that's what it's there for, you know? And yeah. it's that delicate balance of not wanting to pull anything out mm. of the emergency fund. But if we never pull anything out of the emergency fund, then it doesn't actually get the chance to do its job, to do exactly what we put it there for. Mm-hmm. So that's my order that I go in to see if I can fill the gap, if I can adjust. But then I also look forward. So once you take care of the primary problem in front of you, which is the current month doesn't have enough income compared to what I expected, then I also start to look forward and say, number one, if there's any funds or emergency fund that I pulled out of, how can I make a plan for refilling it so I can put back what I took out? Um And then number two, was there something that I was missing? Was there some part of my plan that I could have predicted or or prevented that gap in the income? So I one question I have to answer that or to to speak to that for you is how often would you say your fifteen hundred that you're planning for actually ends up being less than that on your paycheck? Not very often. It's been 
sometimes it's within like a hundred dollars or so, but not, yeah, not very often. Like most of the time it's pretty, pretty close. Good. And I do. And part of that is the looking ahead. You know, I try to, I try to schedule my shifts. So we're going to hit that $1,500, mm-hmm. all the paychecks. So, or, you know, look where I can maybe pick up an extra shift to meet that 1500. Um, but it's pretty consistently 1500. It's just the times that it's, it's not, it's like really not. And then it's yeah. painful. And that's really good. And that should be encouraging to you that really you are planning well and that you are within what you can reasonably predict. You are coming up with a number that is more on the side of realistic than it is on the side of idealistic, which is what we want to do in a budget. When we sit down to make a budget, so often people come up with these really idealistic numbers, like, you know, if they have PRN or they have overtime available, they're like, every single month, I'm going to work this many extra shifts. And then they build their entire plan or they base their plan around doing that thing that they haven't been ever doing. And it's like, well, if that doesn't match what you realistically can do, we don't want to plan for that. So it sounds like you have a, a pretty realistic grasp on the number of shifts that you're going to work and the income that comes along with that so that there is less frustration maybe or less unpredictability in your budget, even though we can never eliminate the unpredictable aspect of it just with the nature of your job. So it it sounds like you have some good systems in place at least to plan on an amount that's not so high that it is frustrating because I was hoping as we kind of talked through things that that the plan itself wouldn't be the thing that's frustrating you. You know, if if sometimes yeah. we set these high bars for ourselves, like, okay, I'm going to make, you know, 2,500. And then if we look back, it's like, well, we did that once in the last eight months. So maybe yeah. we don't want to plan a budget around yeah. that. But it sounds like you have a, a pretty good grasp on what you can expect so that more times than not, when the paycheck is different than what you thought, it's actually because it's more And not because it's less for me being self-employed now, going from a regular paycheck for Kyle's job to self-employment now, I have to remind myself that when the paycheck comes and it's a lot lower than I expected, I'm not doing anything wrong. It's just the nature of the job that I have. So I don't know if, you know, how, when, when it comes back and it's lower than your plan was, what do you feel or what do you think? Like, are, is that frustrating? Are you able to kind of be like, well, this is normal. The way we have our bank accounts set up, like our checking accounts, I have a like a false zero number in there. Mm-hmm. Like, and whenever we get, because the past like Christmas was bad and then my oldest daughter broke her foot and then the baby had to have a procedure. And so we had like no money for my paycheck for Christmas. And then we had like two huge unexpected expenses. And so the past, I guess, two months now, it we've been kind of ooching closer to that like false zero and so I get kind of like stressed about it and we've been really trying to avoid having to pull from our emergency fund because in my mind like an emergency is like someone's in the hospital die it's not like here's a $500 orthopedic doctor visit that we need to account for emergencies in my mind are like catastrophes emergencies Mm -hmm. and not just super large unexpected expenses so we've been whittling away towards that like false zero number but the closer we get to it the more I'm kind of like and like yeah thinking about having to pull for the emergency fund kind of gets me stressed and then just wondering how 
the process of building it back up, if we have to pull from the emergency fund or building up away from that false zero is yeah, just kind of stressful. I have a few thoughts on that. Before I do, I'm going to define a false zero for people who are listening and might not know what it is. So what she's referring to is, which is actually a great budget practice, is to pick usually a nice even number that you pretend like it means your checking account has zero. So for example, a, a good even number would be like 500 or 1000 or 2000, some number where you're like, that is the buffer between me and actual zero. And I'm going to go ahead and pretend like when I hit that number, I have hit zero and I've run out of money. So what it allows you to do is to budget the rest of the money above that number and make a plan for how you're going to use it without the fear that you're going to overdraft or actually actually run out or have a situation where, you know, just the timing of your bills lined up so that, you know, a bill came earlier than you thought. And so it temporarily goes below that false zero. But the fact that you had that false zero prevents you from actually going below zero. So it's like a checking account buffer. And for anybody listening that might have been like, what is a false zero? So to speak to that, then it's interesting because what it sounds like is the things outside of your paycheck and outside of your checking account, the way those are or are not secure or full in your mind drives how big of a deal it is for your paycheck to be less yes. or more than you thought. Does that yes. sound fair? Mm -hmm. Okay. So what, what we want to do then is say it's not necessarily meaning that we need your income to be less variable, and it's not that we need you to make more money. It's that we need significant padding in some of those other categories so that you feel a sense of financial security, even if your paycheck ends up being smaller than you thought. Everybody has a different comfort level with emergency funds. So I love that you have a definition for yourself of this is what I've defined as an emergency fund. This is what I'm going to use it for. I am pretty comfortable with using it and refilling it, kind of bouncing around, but that's totally personal preference. It's not a mandate that everybody should do. I think having that definition for yourself is what's important, not doing it like anybody else does. So for you, if you want to have that high bar of catastrophe only, somebody basically has to be on their deathbed or the car has to disappear for yeah. us to use it, then what we want to do is make sure we think through adequately what are the things that would normally cause me to need that emergency fund and how can I fill a sinking fund for that thing to prevent me from using the emergency fund. So I think you mentioned several of the big ones, which are medical, car, travel, home repair if you own versus rent, if you have pets, kids just in general, not even medical, but just kids. <laughs> yeah. Having some organization to those savings so that when something comes up, you can pull from it without pulling from your emergency fund, basically. So when we have those gaps where, where your income feels smaller, feels lower than normal, maybe we want to add a sinking fund above it. And I would, I would call it like low paycheck sinking fund or something that is specifically a buffer. Some people call it like a slush fund where if your checking account is lower than you would like it to be, the money from this can slush over into okay. that, but it protects. It's like a buffer, a barrier between your checking account and your emergency fund. So maybe some of the frustration might be fixed when you're like, oh, I just pulled from my vacation. And so then we make all these, we have all these thoughts like I just took away a trip in six months by needing to pull it out because of my paycheck. So my work schedule is impacting our family's ability to travel. 
and all these things that we kind of tell ourselves to get frustrated about it. And instead, if the lowest your check could ever be typically is 400 and you plan for 1500, that's a gap of 1100. So maybe we want to put just 1500 in an account that you call a slush fund or like I said, a low paycheck fund or something so that if the paycheck that you budgeted for, you planned 1500, but let's say it comes back 500, you could pull a thousand from this slush fund and put it in your checking account. And then you'd have your 1500 between the buffer account and the check of 500. You have the amount that you planned for with still some extra in there to to carry you through on the next check. And basically the probability that your income after having a few low ones will then kind of swing towards having some high ones allows you to then put money back into it. So if you just set an amount that says, I, I always want 1500 to be in here, but it's going to be my go-to when my check is low, this is going to be the place that I first look to pull it from. What? How does that idea sound to you? Does that sound like something that could help you be organized and, and move things around in those low months? Yeah, that would, psychologically, that feels a whole lot better to me to not have to even think about touching emergency fund and to be able to have like a, yeah, a slush fund to pull from to supplement when things are low or even if things are fine and then there's a huge unexpected expense that comes Yeah, on. Yeah, it can also just be this buffer that protects you from unexpected expenses in general. So maybe your mm -hmm. paycheck is nice and large, but then you mm. also have an unexpected expense, you could pull from this. I love that you said that like it feels better psychologically because sometimes we can overlook that element of it when we're planning where we're just like the numbers need to work and I just need to get my budget to line yeah. up. But the way we feel and think about it matters so much in how we actually interact with the money. And so what, you know, for you, being able to never touch the emergency fund is a high priority, which is great. And so we just put some other things in place to make sure that we can stick to that priority for you. And if that one little extra layer of savings or protection helps you to feel that level of confidence, then we want to go ahead and do that. And and what's funny about it is that we like, it, it feels silly to think along those terms. And so people a lot of times resist it. They're like, well, $1,000 savings is $1,000 savings. It doesn't matter what I call it. And it's like, actually, mm -hmm. it matters a lot what we call mm -hmm. it because it'll change how we use it. So for mm -hmm. example, if you have an emergency fund of 15,000 and then you have 5,000 split up into a bunch of sinking funds, you have exactly the same amount of money as someone who has a 20,000 emergency fund, but you're going to interact with your money completely differently than someone who organized it that way. So maybe adding just that one little layer of your plan for your savings can flip the script for you on how it feels to have a lower paycheck. Yeah, that would, I, I feel like that would help a lot in just the, the planning, but yeah, and also just the comfort level of not having to think super far ahead into the future about like what my life is going to be doing and picking yeah. up extra shifts. Yeah, because have you experienced in the past where you pulled money out of sinking funds to cover something and because the money you were pulling out wasn't originally for that purpose that you felt frustrated? We just had to, we actually just had to pull, like the first time ever, we had to pull some money from the actual emergency fund to pay for an escrow shortage. And so now I'm like sitting, I've been thinking like, how am I going to work it out so I can put that money back in there so it's fully funded again? 
again, the same amount of dollars, the same interaction with our money where we're pulling it from savings to cover something. But if that money originally had a different name or was earmarked for something different, it would feel different. So to be able to prevent you from pulling from a car replacement fund or a medical fund or a vacation fund for something that is a a home-related expense like an escrow shortage, having that account that's like, this is just for when things come up that I didn't predict, you know, my unpredictable fund or whatever you want to call it, then it's the exact same process of pulling the exact same number of dollars from savings to checking to cover the exact same expense. But then you don't have to go through fighting those thoughts of that's not what it was there for, or you shouldn't have pulled that, or now you have to replace it. And, And just being able to eliminate that internal struggle helps you to move forward and just be like, yep, that's what it was for, moving on make a plan for refilling it. I think what what happens when we pull money from a fund that it didn't have that name on it, which I have had to do, is that we tell ourselves that we're doing something wrong or it just like feels mm-hmm. bad. It feels icky mm-hmm. to pull it from there. And if we can eliminate that feeling while doing the exact same thing, then obviously we want to do that. If you're not paid once a month, why are you budgeting that way? A monthly budget ignores the fact that sometimes your expenses are due before the next paycheck is available. A pay period budget is built around your unique pay schedules so that your money doesn't feel like a mess. Create an accurate, realistic plan for getting the most out of each paycheck. Get started budgeting by pay period today with the best-selling budget template and mini course from me, Debt-Free Mom. It's available for just $9 at debtfreemom.co slash template. What I'm encouraged for you about, or what I'm excited for you about, is that you have the numbers and the systems in place. So sometimes if somebody had a, a largely variable income, it would be actually causing them to like not make ends meet or to be so messed up with their finances that they couldn't get ahead, that it's impossible to get ahead without always picking up extra shifts or mm-hmm. something. For you, you actually do have the income and the systems in place to make those things happen so you can take the burden off of yourself. You're not in a situation where you have to make more money in order to be okay. Sometimes it's just re-shifting or reorienting the way we approach what we currently have that will feel different and feel better, feel more secure than the way you have it set up right now. When we feel like our money isn't working or we feel like our budget system is stressful, our reaction, our first response is, well, we need to make more money. Like the reason that we're feeling this is because we don't make enough money. When really we can first look at, can I be more efficient, more effective with what I currently have so that I don't have to pick up so many extra shifts that I'm exhausted all the time or so that I don't have to, you know, tell my husband that he needs to do even more voice lessons or something like that. Mm -hmm. When we can be more effective with our current income, it feels, sometimes it feels like we got a a little bit of a raise without doing any extra work. So as we wrap up that part of the conversation with the, the variable checks and the protecting yourself from unpredictable expenses, as well as unpredictable income, do you have any other questions that came up as we were talking or something outside of variable income that you just want to talk through? Do you have separate sinking funds for other things or do you just have like one giant merge fund and whenever it's time anything comes up, you just pull from it? Because in our budget, I've had, I've got several things earmarked. Like I've got like a medical, just all-encompassing medical like sinking fund that I pull, pull fill up. But then sometimes like January when we had two big ones, 
it completely wiped out our medical sinking fund. And then we had to pull it from like this un unofficial slush fund that we already had. And so I like we never pulled from our emergency fund, but I just was I'm curious if you have just the one big emergency fund that anytime something unexpected comes up, you pull from, or if you have separate things that are earmarked for different kinds of unexpected funds. It's a good time in my life to ask that question because I just changed what I had done before. So when when I budgeted on Kyle's very predictable, same amount, same schedule, or same amount and same date paychecks, I pretty much did just have the one big emergency fund. And I would every once in a while, I would try to have sinking funds. And I, I am the spender, not the saver. I would end up using it because my brain saw it as extra money as, oh, well, I could spend that and I'm not touching the emergency fund and I'm not going in debt. So it felt like permission to spend it. And I learned that about myself over time. And so I really tried not to have a bunch of sinking funds simply because it didn't work for me at the time. Now, as we switched from a stable salary to self-employment, I really felt the pressure of variable income and that I couldn't assume that when something popped up, I would be able to pay for it at the time. Like, I think what made me not be really interested in sinking funds was that as I looked at my budget moving forward, as I looked at my future paychecks and stuff, I could see, well, I can cover that $50 oil change in that paycheck. So I don't need a sinking fund for it because I can already see that into the future that it'll be fine mm -hmm. there. Now, I can't assume that. I can't look forward a month or two from now and and say, well, oh, well, this, of course, will be the paycheck size. And so this expense will fit fine in it. It doesn't because sometimes our income bobs around substantially. So now I have relied much more heavily on sinking funds and on putting money aside before I even know what the expense is going to be that I use it for. So right now, I have a, one account at Ally that I call, the name of it is Family Fund. So at Ally, you can name, you can rename all of the bank accounts to have actual names on them. And then in a savings account, you can also create subcategories called buckets that you can rename as well. So in this Family Fund account, I have buckets for car repair, vacation, medical, a uh, kids one, just general kids. And I will put small amounts of money into those as we have extra. So in the paychecks or in the months that have extra, I'll put, I'll decide how to divvy up some money into there. And then I also, we now manage our own escrow. So we closed the escrow portion of our mortgage last October. So now I'm responsible for the uh, home insurance and the two property tax payments every year. So I went ahead in a a big month that we had last fall, big income month that we had last fall, I put enough in there for all three of our escrow payments for 2023. So the, the home insurance and the two property taxes. So I do have a separate bank account as well that's called escrow that has a bucket for home insurance and a bucket for property taxes. And that's already set aside. As I've switched into using more funds and using more sinking funds, I actually have found myself feeling more organized, more confident, and more protected by having these different accounts with different names on them, seeing those balances go up and knowing if something happened in that category that I had something else besides the emergency fund that I could pull from first. At the end of the day, it doesn't matter a whole lot. There's that delicate balance of 
well, if I have, like I said, when I have 15,000 in my emergency fund and then 5,000 in a bunch of different sinking funds, it's the exact same as having a 20,000 emergency fund. But I do, now that I switched from the consistent income to the variable income, now I have really found me preferring different accounts with different names on it that I'm putting money into over and above the emergency fund. With what you said, with preferring to not pull from the emergency fund, mm-hmm. you might also feel that way of just, yeah. I have these other organized accounts that I can pull from and move money around in, and it never even touches the emergency fund. Yeah. And for the most part, that does until something when slash if something happens that it completely wipes that one account out and you still need something for that yeah. account and you have to pull it. But I think, like you said earlier, having that slush fund, that's just a general like free emergency fund mm-hmm. almost would really help as far as stressful feeling of running out of money, even though I'm not really running out of money yes. just because that emergency fund's empty. Every time I have to pull from my emergency fund, I run a calculation on what percent of the emergency fund I'm pulling out. And that usually makes me feel way better, especially once you have a full emergency fund. Like I can get really frustrated about pulling $200 out of my emergency fund because I'm like, this is not an emergency or this is what it, you know, this is wasn't what it was there for. But if I, I'm going to run the calculation on my computer right now. If I took 200 out of my emergency fund, that would be 1.3% of my emergency fund. So, you know, that's that plays into that psychological yeah. factor of realizing I can pull this $200 out because something came up that I didn't expect and 98.7% of my emergency fund mm. is still exactly where it was. Okay, well, hopefully this helped to talk through some options just so that you can continue to feel like you're moving forward even though you have a variable income that jumps around. Yes, I do. Yes, I feel much better now. Yes. I always hope that it's like a combination of talking through numbers and a little bit of like having coffee with a friend, a little bit like therapy and a little bit like all of them. You have the numbers in place. You have the income in place. You're obviously a well-planned person, but just being able to bounce it off of anyone else is like, oh, okay, I can feel Mm -hmm. confident in what I'm doing now. Having yeah, an outside party be like, yeah, that makes sense. Or new, new set of eyes really can change the change of perspective. Yeah. You're like, oh, good. I'm not the only one that thought that was a good idea and everybody else thought it was a bad idea. (laughs) Yes. Yep. All right. Well, thanks so much, Stacey, for being willing to come on and share. I'm I'm excited to put this episode out there and have other people who have variable income and oftentimes who write themselves off as not being able to budget because they have variable income can be encouraged by what you do and the systems you have in place. I love doing this podcast because each guest is so different and each problem that we're talking through is so different. Sometimes when guests come on, we're talking through a struggle that they really don't know the answer to. Today, I enjoyed talking to Stacy because I was able to talk her through some ways to make her feel better about her variable income, even if the income itself isn't actually changing. But she also offered lots of advice and lots of tips for people who are working with these variable incomes. I love the way she is organizing her bank accounts and that she wants to continue improving this system so that she feels confident about her money, no matter the size of her paycheck. Thanks for listening to the Debt-Free Mom podcast. 
If you want to join me as a guest on the show, go to dfmpodcast.com. The Debt-Free Mom Podcast is hosted by me, Carly Hill, and is produced, edited, and mixed by Kyle Hill. Music for this episode was written by Kyle Hill. Hit subscribe wherever you're listening to join in with every new episode as we grow our confidence and contentment in our personal finances.